0: have a Bible, it would be good to have it out. If you don't, there are some at the back of the church. Psalm 27. And we're going to unpack the psalm together for a few minutes now. Um, Let's pray before we do. Heavenly Father, help us in this moment now, I pray. Help us to turn our eyes and our ears and our hearts to you. Speak to us, I pray, through your Holy Spirit now, in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. 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 It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Very good, you educated a lot. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. Amazing words at the beginning of a novel by whom? Dickens. Charles Dickens. What was the story called? Very clever at the front here. A Tale of Two Cities. Now, I have no idea what that would be, apart from the fact that I studied it. Um, In secondary school English. That's how I know that story. And I wrote an essay on this particular story, um, and I never actually read the book. Uh, I I read the summary, and then wrote an essay on the summary of a really good book. Oh, I wasn't going to admit that, but you know, I think I should. Um, But I remember schoolwork and schooling, and this was the kind of thing I got to when I got to secondary school, you know, having to look at huge books and thinking, ah, I can't do that. But at the moment, it's is extraordinary, um, so in the words we just read, contrast between two different worlds and two different experiences that were happening at the same time. And the, and the writer, Dickens, brings them both together. And if I'm honest, um, my experience of schooling at the moment is two totally different worlds. Somebody asked me this morning about, what are the age differences in your kids? Well, um, Archie, the eldest, is, is 10 and just going to secondary school this year Um, And Harry has just begun, his threes, just begun uh, preschool. Um, And so the questions I'm asked are literally worlds apart, as you can imagine. Uh, With Harry, it's, Daddy, what's that called? Well, that's a handbrake, Harry. Uh, Can I do it? No, 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 you can't do that. (laughs) Daddy, what's that? Well, that's a potato masher. Oh, uh, can I have a go? Perhaps, uh, just... Not right now, because we're late and we're stressed and we need to get the tea on the table. Um, Daddy, what's that? Um, That's my circular saw, Harry. (laughs) Can I push the button? No, 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 (laughs) no. Um, With Archie, it's... Dad, Um, what's the difference between an oxymoron and juxtaposition? (laughs) I kid you not. True? He came out with this one in a few months back, and I'm ever being flabbergasted. <laughs> He's supposed to be at primary school. Where have all the colouring sheets? Colour, <laughs> colour five oranges and two <laughs> bananas. All right, I'll do that. What's the difference between an oxymoron and a juxtaposition? Um, the point was, I did actually know, I'm just quite pleased with myself, but I knew because I've done an MA dissertation <laughs> that I then had to dig back out to help my primary school son and say, right, let me give you an an example of how I use the word juxtaposition in my MA dissertation primary school son. (laughs) What's going on? I don't understand. But at its most simplest, I want to use this word juxtaposition, it is exactly what the writer Dickens does at the beginning. It's the bringing together of two seemingly totally different or contrasting elements and bringing them together, and letting them sit together to make a point, to help us understand something. Darkness and light, the feeling of both at the same time, a juxtaposition, um, is, that's exactly what that means. Um, but it's not just something that you can use in writing or reading, it's actually something, if we're honest, we experience in life. The two juxtaposing worlds of education that I have in my life at the moment, <laughs> Harry's And Archie's, it might be a posh word, but underneath it, it's a concept I think we all recognize as Christians. Because following Jesus is not just one dimensional experience, it's not all joys, it's not all struggles, it contains both. With one breath we declare, my cup overflows, with another we say, please fill my cup. Everything I have is in you, there must be more than this. I know I am heard. Please hear me, Lord. I know you are with me. Come, Holy Spirit. It's a juxtaposition. It's two experiences that we hold together. Jesus knew it well and he told us it will feel like that as Christians sometimes. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. We all experience, if we're honest, this yes but not quite experience um, as we walk in faith and trust and follow Jesus. The now but not yet. And that's exactly the experience that the psalmist here attributed to David. That David, or the writer of the psalm, is basically trying to help us understand. It's what he's writing about. And it's a psalm of two halves, which is partly why I wanted you to get the scripture out. Verses 1 to 6 are some of the most confident declarations of faith and trust and provision in God you'll find anywhere in scripture. And then it turns from verse 7 to some of the most desperate cries, anxious and fretful, for more of God and for help. And because of this, theologians its hilarious they just don't know what to do with this psalm. They want to put it in a box, and they can't, because there's two boxes. Is it, is it a lament? Like the second half seems to be an individual lament? Or is it a psalm of confidence? And so what they, some of them try and do is, well, there must be two psalms. Clearly they've just got two and stuck them together. But that's not the case. The, the psalm is a whole, linguistically, thematically, structurally. It is deliberate the writer has deliberately brought these two things together and isn't trying to hide the fact, isn't embarrassed about the fact that both of these things are true in his experience at the moment as he's writing this. And actually, it's hugely profound as a psalm because of this. Here is an honest reflection on what the life of faith really feels like sometimes. So we're going to unpack both halves briefly this morning. Um and we're going to reflect on it as our experience as Christians total confidence in God's provision and yet this other side that we have which is a deep yearning and an understanding that we need more of God they may seem in total contrast but they're not, they're actually both equally true and believe it or not both of them are really important to our faith so let's just kick straight off into the total confidence of God our stronghold ooh, I'll just grab my clicker Confidence and yearning. Total confidence in God, our stronghold. Verses 1 to 6 of this psalm. It begins with the most incredible words. Words that you will find on posters all around the Christian world. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? The psalm roars into life, almost explodes with passion and faith and confidence in God. I have a light that shines brightly, that brings me joy and life and guides me on the way. I have a saviour who has rescued me again and again and will rescue me again and again, who I can totally trust and I have a stronghold that will not fail me. And his name is the Lord. He is my dwelling place of safety. He is my means of protection. He is a strong and a fortified place right at the centre of my life. Consistent, dependable, unswerving. And he is the Lord. I don't know if stronger words of confidence and certainty have ever been uttered. They are stunning, aren't they? This confidence, right at the heart of the psalmist's life, is not in his skills or strengths or armies or weapons or horses. Far from it. It's in the Lord, whom he knows by name, and he uses the name of the Lord here in the Old Testament. When you see "Lord" written in capitals in our NIV versions, they are using. The writer is using. The name of God there, the personal revealed name revealed to Moses, Yahweh, as we sung in our first song um, appropriately, Yahweh, Yahweh, we love to sing your name. So here he is saying, Yahweh, my eternal, mighty and awesome stronghold, the God of the universe, the stronghold of my life, and this for the psalmist changes everything for him. When the wicked are against me, though an army besiege me, he says, though war break out against me, my heart will not fear. I will be confident. Confidence and confidence and confidence in the first part of this psalm. Even in a genuinely frightening world, the fear of violence, the fear and pressure all around him, even the fear of death, does not have the power to overwhelm this believer. Because right at the heart of his life is this light, this saviour, this stronghold that will not... To see such a stronghold, a beautiful, powerful, unswerving stronghold in the life of an ordinary person is simply awe inspiring. But I want to say to each one of us this morning that if you're a Christian, then you have the very same stronghold in your life that will never fail you. And you know him by name, Jesus. You know him by name. His name is Jesus. You have a true and unfailing light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever believes in me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You have an all-sufficient saviour, as we were thinking about again this morning and last week, the one who went to the cross to pay for everything for you. In him you are saved, totally forgiven, rescued for all eternity, safe, secure and destined for heaven. Friends, if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, you have something that totally sets you apart from everybody else who doesn't. Believe it or not. For at the centre of your life, and sometimes we forget this, you have a stronghold that will never fail you, in whom you can place your total... Confidence. And if you haven't got that stronghold yet, you can do that even today. You can turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, be my stronghold. Be my saviour. Be my Lord. I need you. I'm not doing this on my own anymore. Come into my life and be my stronghold. Be my place of safety. Be my saviour. And when we talk about strongholds, We often talk about negative things. We use stronghold as a language. Some of you may or may not use it, but we use it in in Christian terms sometimes. And we think about negative things that have a stronghold on our lives, like often being held captive by fear. Fear is a stronghold in my life, perhaps. Or, um, you know, an addiction has a stronghold on me. Indeed, there's probably nobody who walks through this life without some form of stronghold in their life. And often it is Fear, an underlying fear that aches away. What is this life I'm living? What is it all about? Am I good enough, really? Have I done enough? What happens when I die? And perhaps you recognise that fear in yourself this morning. I want to say that Jesus came to destroy all other strongholds and to hold, that hold us captive to fear and to free us that we might know true peace and joy in life. The book of Hebrews says, that because we are flesh and blood, he became flesh and blood, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Friends, if you're sat here this morning and you don't know Jesus yet and you recognise, I don't know what's going to happen when I die, I am still held captive by that fear of failure or of death, then I want to say to you that when you surrender your life to Jesus and you say to him, you become my Lord, you become my Saviour, you become in charge of my life, I'm sorry, I turn to you, then at that moment he breaks the strongholds of fear and the power of fear and death that has held you and he becomes a place of safety, a stronghold that will never fail you in your life. Doesn't mean a stronghold just when life is good. Doesn't mean pleasant and predictable will life be from now on. The psalmist is surrounded by struggles, he says, difficulties, pressures, pain, armies, metaphorical armies for us maybe. It doesn't mean that we won't sometimes worry, it doesn't mean that we won't have old fears that creep back up on us, but what it does mean is that at the very core of who we are, we are changed. At the very core of who we are is Jesus now, living in us, our Lord and Saviour, a mighty fortress whom we can take shelter, find rest and strength, a fortress who is stronger than all our fears and foes. Let this truth hit home again this morning, friends. If you love Jesus, perhaps you've forgotten (laughs) this truth take a moment to say to yourself just in silence now, in your heart I have a light I have a saviour I have a stronghold and his name is Jesus so it is as we understand and we get a glimpse of this total and utter confidence in God that the psalmist has we then understand why he's able to write a sentence like this, that the one thing he desires, more than anything else, is the presence of his God, his stronghold. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, he writes, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. You see, the stronghold, as Tony was so beautifully sharing with us, Tony was... The chap who came up to lead prayers a moment ago, as Tony was sharing with us so beautifully his stronghold isn't an idea or a religious duty or an impersonal truth or a clever philosophy it's a relationship more than anything else the psalmist longs To be with God. To be where God is and to see God as he is. He seeks the presence of God above all else. The first use of the word seek here in Hebrew literally means a need. I seek it because I need it. I recognise my desperate, most desperate need is the Lord. He wants to spend deliberate time in God's presence every day of his life. It's not that he doesn't believe that God isn't always with him. He knows that. But he longs to take the time to dwell in the presence of God. And the second use of the word seek, to seek him in his temple, is something more beautiful. It's something about carefully spending time to consider, to meditate, to dwell on. He wants to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. You know, when we use language in some of our songs, they can seem a bit sloppy, a bit like Jesus is my boyfriend kind of thing. And it's all a bit like, really? What are we talking about? But actually, it is ancient. This understanding that God is beautiful. God is glorious. God is wonderful. God is beauty. And we gaze upon Him. The greatest thing we're called to as human beings (coughs) is to catch a glimpse of this God in this life, His beauty. And to respond in heartfelt worship to him in all of our lives. So the psalmist is saying, Lord, just to be with you. Just let me be with you. Let me see you. Let me know you. This is what I need and desire most of all. Your presence. Not riches, not wisdom, not esteem. These things are wonderful, but they pale into insignificance compared to your presence. We need the presence of Jesus more than we realise We need the presence of the Father more than we realise. We need the presence of the Holy Spirit more than we realise. It's why Jesus came. He said as he's praying to his Father towards the end of the Gospel of John, he's saying, I came that they may have eternal life. And this is what eternal life is, that they may know you. They may know you. Not just know of you or think about you, but know you, have relationship with you and Jesus whom you sent and me. That they may know us, Father that they may have relationship. This is what Jesus has done for us. So week after week we gather here and we, we're we not ashamed about being passionate about spirit-filled worship in this place. We gather in the name of Jesus, we invite the Holy Spirit to move and we come into the presence of the Lord deliberately. We know he's always with us, but in Jesus' name we gather, we invite the Spirit and we come into his presence to dwell again on the beauty and the glory of God to meet with Him because this is the place where we are reset, we are re envisioned, we are repaired, we are reinspired in the presence of Jesus. And yes, as the psalmist, we come with thankfulness and joy and hymns and songs and celebration because God is so good. Okay, that's the first half of the psalm. I'm gonna to have to go really quick on the second. It's an extraordinary psalm though, right? So that's the first half. Total confidence in God, our stronghold. And now the psalm flips. You may not have spotted it as you were hearing it, but it flips at verse 7. The tone changes completely. It moves from a sense of settledness to unsettledness. From orientation, which is what the uh, theologians would call it, a psalm of orientation to a psalm of disorientation. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not turn your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God, my Saviour. In the place of this jubilant confidence in who God is, we now get this sense of almost desperate anxiety and Concern, we get this deep yearning for more of God at work in the psalmist's life and in the world around him. And it can be the same for all of us. Which one of us here, and be honest here, has not felt that reality of having been in a place of worship? of having a oh, Bible study or, or prayer, having really sensed that we've met, been encouraged by God, and then immediately moved from that place back into another conversation or our work environment or our family stress environment, and it's all felt like it's all come crumbling down. And, you go, and we go from, God, you're amazing, to God, are you there? God, do you care? Are you listening? Like coming out of a theatre or the cinema where you've been in, in this beautiful world, have been inspired and then you sort of step back out and you're in the cold, dark, wet, rainy, Odeon car park. And you go, oh, it's not quite quite Middle Earth, is it? Hey. (laughs) I want to say to you, this is okay. This is normal for Christians. It's not weird. You don't need to be afraid or ashamed if you sense this. This is the real Christian life. Even for the greatest believers, they have felt this. Elijah's great victory on Mount Carmel, one of my favourite people, Elijah, Old Testament, he sees the glory of the Lord, the fire comes down. The very next paragraph, he sat under a tree going, God, I want to give up, I'm rubbish, I don't know where you are, you're not with me. Even ministers get it, I say even ministers, of course they do. Spurgeon, one of our greatest Baptist preachers, he called it the minister's fainting fits. Being right there in the heart of all God is, knowing his goodness and his grace and his hand at work to then just feeling at the bottom and going, I don't know where he is. I don't know what's happening. What's going on? How do we understand this? If God's my stronghold, why do I now struggle? Well, like the psalmist, I want to suggest that once we've encountered something of God's great love and mercy and compassion, it hits us and strikes us that the world is missing it in so many ways. It's so full of aggression and brokenness. Once we've personally tasted the goodness of God, we realise that we do not experience fully yet all of his goodness in all of our lives yet the presence of God leaves us hungry for more of God in our lives we realise we're not there yet it's not something we fully know we're desperate for more of God we're desperate for more of his help he sometimes feels far away he sometimes feels different distant We realise that we're not all that we wish we were yet as a Christian. There are truths here that we can hold on to. I'm going to have to go really quickly here. But I want you to hear this, especially if you're in this place this morning. Because even if we struggle or doubt in this way, which is common to all of us at times, it does not mean that we are far from God. And I want you to hear that. Or that he's totally absent. In fact, God is at work in and through these experiences Indeed, through this struggle in the psalm, it is God himself who actually calls the psalmist back to seek his face again. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. That's the translation we've got in the NIV, but really it's God's voice saying, come and seek my face. God's spirit is still stirring. The psalmist's heart is still alive. The spirit is still alive within him and saying, come and seek more of God as you look around as you worry as you're feeling exhausted and doubting there's something in you saying come back come and seek my face it is the work of the spirit I have known it myself even when I miss church for a week or two weeks ago on holiday or something something in me is yearning come back in to the people of God come and seek God again you've been far away for too long come and seek my face your face Lord will I seek And the other thing I want to say is if you're in that place, even if you're there today or in this season of life, I want you to know that like the psalmist, you must never ever think that God's abandoned you. Because I promise you, he has not. In fact, he promises you, he has not. The psalmist says, though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will always receive me even in our deepest feelings of worldly hurt and brokenness and pain and isolation, if we have invited Jesus to be our saviour, we can know with all confidence he is with us. I will not leave you as orphans. Specifically, Jesus said, the psalmist here is saying, if I'm left as an orphan, God will still take me up, he will adopt me. Jesus turns around and says, I will never leave you as orphans. You must know this. I will come to you. I am with you always until the very end of the age. Jesus is not absent or especially absent in times of trouble. He is especially present in times of difficulty and struggle and suffering. He is not especially absent. He is especially present. And yet we yearn for more of God because we recognise that the fullness of the reality of God we don't experience yet in our lives or in this world. We know things could be different. We know the Father's heart and we say, Lord, I want more of you, more of you in me. I want to be following you better. I want to live for you more. I want to see more of you in This world, this is not a place of doubt, this is a place of deep faith that has turned into prayer. The greatest prayer of all, actually. The prayer that Sally and Carl picked up on at the end of their talk. Lord, let your kingdom come and your will be done more in my life, in my community, in my workplace, in my family. If you're in that place, call out to the one who is listening today, who is with you. Okay, two fantastic parts of this psalm, this juxtaposition brought together these two equally faith-filled cries, which the writer now leaves resounding at the end in his final exclamation. He says this, I will remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Do you know it's a difficult sentence to translate that. It's probably better that it's an exclamation by him saying, had I not seen the goodness of the the Lord in the land of the living, how different my life would be. He's basically saying, I've seen the Lord. Can you imagine if I had not known his goodness? That is his confidence. And then he says, yet, wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. A faith full of confidence and full of waiting. A journey of joy and a journey of struggle. A seasons of deep trust. Seasons of just holding on. An experience of fullness which leads to a yearning for more. I want to suggest to us this morning as individuals in a church that we need both of those. Don't be embarrassed. Don't hide it. If you're struggling with one, if you're in that place, share with your brothers and sisters. Let them pray with you. Let them walk with you and remind you of the truth of the Lord with you. Let's get real about our faith here. We need both, and this is the reason why, and I finish with this. As a church, we need to be deeply rooted in our confidence in Jesus, our joy and our satisfaction in him, but we also need to be unsatisfied with all we see so far in our lives and in our church and in our community. We need to believe that Jesus will bring more and we need to cry out more, Lord. As a church, we have a stronghold in whom we can have total confidence. It's not me, it's not Meg, even though he's got big muscles, certainly bigger than mine. No, it's not the leadership team who would make a fine tug of war champions I'm sure no it's not, nothing to do with this it's not our vision, our structures, our finance our baptist heritage it is Jesus the Lord of this church, the one who said I will build my church and the gates of hell will never overcome it and confidence in him gives us confidence to step out in risk to go out and to, and to live for him and to not be held back by anxiety or worry knowing that he will be with us, he is our stronghold. And yet, we also need a constant yearning for more, which keeps us from complacency. It inspires us into prophetic imagination. What would things look like if we had more of Jesus? Let me ask this question, what would your life look like if you had more of Jesus in your life, in your family? What would Creech look like if our community knew more of Jesus, had more of Jesus, his love, his justice, his compassion, his truth. We need to be asking that as a church. The yearning stops us getting flabby and it motivates us to dream big dreams that God inspires for us to then have the confidence in our stronghold to step out and do. We are left like the psalmist with two resounding, equally faithful cries Jesus is with us. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Loving Jesus, I just ask for your blessing this morning on us. I ask for your blessing on those who feel stirred this morning in their hearts for more of you. I pray you would reveal yourself to them. I pray you would encourage each one of us to seek you more. But most of all, Lord, would you encourage each one of us here to know that if we trust in you, we have a stronghold that will never fail us. Thank you, that's what sets us apart, the Holy Spirit within us, you as the stronghold of our life. If we're a checkout clerk at the supermarket, if we work in a bank, we're a teacher, we work at home, we're retired, we have a stronghold, a light, a saviour a safe place, a place of refuge that will never fail us. Lord, I pray, help us as a church to be full of confidence in you. Help us as a church to never grow flabby and rest on our laurels, but help us have that yearning that you taught us, the greatest prayer of all, let your kingdom come more. Help us to see and dream with you all that could be possible for us as individuals, as a community, and in the communities around us. For I ask it in your precious name, Jesus. Amen.